0: This man's legal name is Flavor Flav. Counselor, I'll allow it.
1: Yeah, boy!
2: We're, we're, we're surrounded by super powerful forces. Once they get you in their jails, they can figure out ways of keeping for a long time, Caesar. The workers don't have the vote. It can only be attributable to, to human error. The new immigrants in many places, many of them are not citizens,
1: most of them don't speak the
2: language. <laughs> You are now tuned into to Fear of a Porter Planet.
1: Welcome back, guys. What up, what up? And welcome to all the new millions of viewers (laughs) that joined the podcast as soon as we dropped our first episode. It's good to have you.
2: Yeah, definitely. will jump from I think seventy downloads to seventy thousand. Mm-hmm.
0: Shout out! Shout out yeah. to the listeners in Austria. Avin,
2: loyal fan base.
1: Yeah, last time we, <laughs> oh, yeah, we last time we checked listeners. the stats, our our highest group of listeners is in Vienna, Austria. So shout out to to Austrians, I guess. <laughs> oh,
3: shout out to Vienna! All our Austrian abolitionist homies. Yeah, they
1: got yeah, some. We,
0: some we, we gotta feed the streets. You know, they're there. they're waiting for the next episode to drop. So. You gotta gotta give the people what they want the streets <laughs> of salzburg yeah. our, our voices are right. the talk of vienna but
2: seriously we will not this episode but in the future we will get into european migration policy cuz there's too much to unpack there oh yeah but today ooh, guys ooh. you know what we're talking about we're talking about ice detention and acon But we, as you know, the way this show works, we got to start with the heavy stuff first
0: before we, before we have some real fun. I mean, I guess I would just start by saying abolish ICE. Just (laughs) generally. Yeah, that's the general disclaimer. (laughs) a good place
1: to start. Here, we're talking about ICE, we're talking about about detention, but we don't think any of this (laughs) exists. That's a pretty safe disclaimer.
3: Of course, all the views brought to you here today are, uh... Brought to you by the one and only crew of the Fear of a Border Planet podcast. Of course, I am co-host Nelson the Mayan, a.k.a. El Comandante de Cuscatlán, a.k.a. Radio Ramón, a.k.a. The Cannabis Welcome,
2: Nelson. Who else do we have here?
0: Uh, we've got your boy Jami. What's up, guys? Back for another episode. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I missed you guys.
1: Wow, no alias, Jami? <laughs>
0: still still thinking of the alias I, I i was playing around with like john the astute you know but i don't know i i think i i gotta think on a little harder
1: mm, john the astute i like <laughs> it. you got time well i'm yeah i'm ramus aka ramus the astute <laughs> <laughs> just, I just thought of just came up with that yeah
3: did you just come uh, up with
1: that like off, that on the, off the fly yeah you know it has a nice ring guy. to it what can i say the white wizard approaches.
2: I'm back again. The white wizard, Carrie, whiter than ever.
0: <laughs> All right,
2: let's get into it. So today, we are talking about ice detention. I'm going to give us a little overview about what we're talking about here, some of the history, uh, some of the the huge, horrible atrocities that are, you know, facing people in ICE detention today, and then some of our illustrious co-hosts are going to get into some subtopics. So let's start right off the bat. What is ICE? I alluded to it already, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. That's a sub-agency of the Department of Homeland Security, a department of the U.S. Fed's government that was founded in 2003. It was started by the Homeland Security Act, uh, which was a piece of uh, fascist legislation that came into effect shortly after 9-11 under esteemed President George W. Bush. So ICE does a lot of things that are not just detention, um, does other you know grave abuses of individual rights, including uh, deportation. ICE is the agency uh, that is charged with Uh, affecting removals or deportations from the United States. It does what's called interior enforcement. So this is the agency that goes around arresting non-citizens in the country to put them into ICE detention and put them in immigration proceedings. It monitors hundreds of thousands of non-citizens through its quote-unquote alternatives to detention programs. That's something that we'll definitely unpack on another episode, but today the focus is one of its, you know, most appalling uh, roles, which is detaining tens of thousands of non-citizens every single day, purely on the basis of their country of birth. Um, and actually, before I dive into ICE's role in this, it's worth mentioning that they are not the only agency that detains non-citizens on the basis of their country of birth. Uh, customs and border protection cbp uh does a lot of detention um the u.s department of health and human services the office of refugee resettlement detains a lot of unaccompanied minors through its programs that's something that uh, nelson and jami you guys have worked with directly i'm sure we'll talk about that on a future episode but ice ice is the biggie in terms of locking people up for being foreigners Now, we were doing this also before ICE came around. Immigrant detention dates back to Ellis Island. You know, we think of Ellis Island, oh, oh, my grandparents came through Ellis Island and they wrote their name on the book and ha ha ha, they changed my name. And that's how I have the funny name I have today. Uh, Ellis Island was a detention center. It quarantined people coming into the country. And it also wasn't the only one doing this. Angel Island on the west coast did this en masse for lots of Chinese and East Asian immigrants at the turn of the century. These were not nice places, but honestly, might have been milk toast compared to the type of centers that ICE runs today. Um, you saw another uptick in immigrant detention uh, in the 80s. One of the biggest uh, f- immigration flashpoints at that time was the migration of of Cubans, uh, especially the group known as the Marielitos, who were part of an event called the Mariel Boat Lift, where uh, Fidel Castro, president at the time, uh, released a lot of what he would consider undesirables, people in the prisons and the mental health institutions, to take boats over to the U.S. Now, these weren't the only people coming to the U.S. and specifically to Florida as part of this mass migration. But uh, Castro, as a way of kind of sabotaging the U.S., played this game and and intentionally included a lot of these, again, quote unquote, undesirables uh, in this boat lift, as they say. The Tony UC, Montana. The detention... Tony Montana, you see this depicted in Scarface, the the very beginning of Scarface. Uh, Al Pacino, the least convincing Cuban you've ever seen, uh, is coming through an immigrant detention center.
1: You ever been in jail, Tony? Me?
2: Jail? No way. No. Been in a mental hospital? Oh, yeah. And they're both coming over. And there's scholars who even trace... The, the rise of modern immigrant attention to the treatment of Marielitos, the, the criminalization of immigrants to the treatment of this group, because they were suddenly viewed as as all suspect in terms of their uh, their history and their their mental stability, etc. And then you really saw this type of criminalization mentality expanded under the most effective conservative president of the past 40 years, Bill Clinton. Uh, he passed laws in 1996 that really expanded the use of detention, expanded which categories of immigrants would be subject to Im- to sorry to mandatory detention. And then I alluded to before, the Homeland Security Act uh, under Bush really expanded this, uh, this infrastructure. And of course, Obama was no stranger to this either he saw the largest expansion of immigrant detention and removals that we've seen that that basically handed the keys to this fascist empire to Trump. Trump couldn't have done what he did without the expansion that Obama oversaw.
0: Yeah, I was just going to chime in and just kind of clearly draw the the attention to the fact that it seems like when it comes to detention, uh, detaining immigrants, like it doesn't really differ amongst amongst different parties. You know, it's just I think we touched on it a little bit last last episode as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be a common theme of how pathetically similar these parties are. Some of the perverse ways that ICE detention operates. There is family detention. Uh, families, many families are released. Uh, asylum-seeking families who seek asylum at the border. Well, maybe not anymore. But some, rather arbitrarily, are detained as family units. Either on the border in uh, detention centers like in Dilly, Texas, or there's the Burks Detention Center in western Pennsylvania. These are centers designed specifically to detain children and parents together which while marginally better than child separation, detaining children is like provenly detrimental to childhood development and is an atrocity. There's private detention centers. So ICE runs a huge network of privately run detention centers that contracts with from companies like CoreCivic and the GEO Group, companies who have shareholders who get paid the, le- the less food that immigrants eat. Those checks get cashed when they exploit detained migrants for janitorial services for a dollar a day. This is the perverse incentives that private immigrant detention creates. There's also a lot of uh, ICE detention that just takes place through, they call them intergovernmental service agreements, IGSAs, Uh, which is just ICE contracting with a local government agency, like a county sheriff, to detain immigrants on ICE's behalf. Uh, And us here in Michigan, this is the only form of ICE detention we see in the state of Michigan, uh, is these IGSAs with the Calhoun, Monroe, St. Clair, and Chippewa County jails. We've seen modest, modest rollbacks of ICE detention under Biden. But I should probably bite my tongue because... Even just in the past week, we see him going the other way. We're really starting this pod at a time when the differences between Biden and his predecessor seem less and less significant. Let's be clear on what ICE custody is. It's incarceration in often terrible conditions, often permitting uh, almost slave labor, often with neglectful health care. Uh, uh, horrible food. Uh, And by definition, this is the point I want to hammer hammer home. Everyone in ICE detention is there only because they are not a citizen of the U.S. Some people say, oh, but what about the people who committed crimes? Guess what? We have a whole detention system for people who commit crimes. It's called jails and prisons. And non-citizens go to those places but a lot of them end up in ICE afterward, and there's a lot of people in ICE detention who've not committed any sort of crime whatsoever, or even been charged. That's my spiel, Jami. Let me hand it off to you to bring us some some fat numbers on this. Yeah,
0: issue. Um, I mean super informative stuff. It's um, it, it's pretty crazy to see. You know, uh, if you guys would believe this, in 2019. There's uh, there was some data about the growth in ICE detentions uh, fueled primarily by immigrants with no criminal convictions. Um, So to your point about, you know, we we already have a a system in place for those that have committed crimes uh, called jails and prisons. And I mean, that comes with its own (laughs) set of complications and and uh, injustices in as it is, oh, but yeah. exactly their its own un- humanities. Um, <clears throat> but as far as ICE detentions, there's been significant growth, um, and it's that growth is fueled primarily by individuals with no convictions. Um, so as of 2019, um, ICE held about 50,000 people in detention. Of that 50,000, 64% had no criminal history. Numbers have got gotten better under Biden. In, two, in 2021, we have seen a downward trend in immigrants being detained by ICE. Um, new bookings by ICE dropped by 62% even in the first month of Biden's presidency. Um, however, there still presents issues with CBP arrests and handing, handing individuals over to ICE. But nonetheless, at the in the end, at the end of February 2021, ICE reported a record low of I don't want to say only, but a record low of 13,529 uh, immigrants in ICE detention. So, um, as of 2021, the numbers of bookings and numbers of ICE detainees has got has gone down. But as we continue to see policies being implemented uh, by either party administration still putting a significant amount of immigrants freedoms and their live livelihood at stake something to take i guess with a grain of salt is the fact that there's been tons of sloppy data um there's been studies uh, by the University of Syracuse University and the uh, Transactional Records Access Clearinghouse that has documented very terrible record keeping and uh, data releasing uh, by ICE. Um, So for context there, Department of Homeland Homeland Security is required by law, specifically the uh, Appropriations Act of 2020 to regularly release data to the public about various ICE related activities um, one of those activities being uh, the amount the number of immigrants detained by ICE it, well it nice? would be nice if <laughs> if actual uh, numbers were being publicized and, and put out um, for people to actually take a, a, an honest look at what's going on but Over two years of monitoring uh, by the TRAC revealed that frequently there are uh, misreports and misinformation of significant deviation in the numbers reported by ICE. Oftentimes, figures being off by tens of thousands of people, and a lot of the time, the data is so arbitrary and unusable that. It essentially that either nothing's being reported or the data is so uh, so arbitrary that it's kind of undeci- undecipherable to determine just how many people are being detained. Um, so it's a lot of a lot of uh, deflating of numbers as well as kind of muddying up the data, essentially serving as nothing better than propaganda because there's really no. You know, there's no, the, the agency that is responsible for releasing these numbers has no incentive or no otherwise uh, justification to release the true numbers of, you know, how many people are, are really being uh, victims of injustice. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Can I cut in real quick? Like, you know,
2: even since 2020, when this requirement to publish data uh, was enacted, uh, we experienced it our former employer uh problems trying to figure out how many people were in ice detention in michigan we would ask ice like what are your numbers at the jails right now they wouldn't tell us and we would we would have periods of not getting many calls from ice deep teenies at the, at the jails and we're like hmm i wonder if the numbers are down are down and then we'd realize no the numbers aren't down the yeah. phones are down they there are just as many people in there, but their phone access was being restricted, or the phone lines weren't working. So it was just really difficult for us to to get transparent information about who is being detained, what for, etc.
0: Very true. Um, it's
3: interesting the ways that like, the system you know, there's very obvious kind of blatant ways in which it oppresses and you know, separates people and incarcerates them, um, from their communities and from their families and et cetera, et cetera, you know, that we see just on the face of it, but the lack of transparency is itself often one of ICE's most effective tools at really, um, maintaining its kind of detention apparatus, right? Because, We don't know what's going on. They can't. And they very purposefully make it difficult to get any kind of sense of scale of how many people they're detaining and um, in what conditions and what exactly is going on inside these facilities. And it's all very, you know intentional just in the way that they obscure that data and they make sure it's suppressed and make sure that the people inside don't have access to anybody outside and vice versa so that um the lack of information becomes a weapon yeah that's
0: that's a great point because something that i thought about when kind of uh looking into these various statistics was just the uh distrust that that i might have for that i have for the system and this might be a maybe getting along the lines of like conspiracy theories but the the whole like okay we're gonna require uh dhs and ice to release these numbers but it's like that seems uh, that seems performative because it's like okay like let's make it look like we're we're cracking down or we're pushing the you know we're moving the needle on this problem but Behind the scenes, let's uh, be bystanders in in the fact that, oh, like inaccurate information is coming is coming out or uh information's not being put out for a certain amount of time with, you know, with no uh, with no consequence. And uh, and the phone lines are down so people can't get in contact. So it's like it, it just gives me a mistrust of the system. You know, let's let's make it let's make it look like this issue is something that we're pushing forward, um, when in reality, through back channels, we're able to completely halt the process and just essentially maintain the status quo. But <laughs> I don't think it's conspiratorial <laughs> at right. all.
3: No, like the they know what's going on. Like we can talk about it. We're not even in the government like running any of these agencies but we still have a lot of information not Mm -hmm. as much as we should but we still have a fair amount of information about what actually goes on inside these places so if we know they know and And they they know more than we do whatever level of accountability they implement is ultimately going to be you know cover for continuing business as usual
0: and uh, before I hand it off, I I did want to leave with like one more one more fact uh, statistic. So currently there are uh, roughly forty eight ICE detention centers across the United States. Um, do you guys want to take a guess at which states have the most?
2: That's a good question. I'm not sure.
3: I would. Texas is like
2: like my instinctual guess me too but I feel like there's mm. so much CBP presence in Texas I don't know how much of it is ICE but yeah. I want to yeah. say
1: Louisiana, Ramos, I you want say Louisiana.
2: ooh Louisiana
0: okay. those, those are
2: yeah I know they, they... alright you guess Louisiana I know they stage a lot of like removals to far flung countries from Louisiana so a lot of people get shipped like even from Michigan mm. to Louisiana before their mm. removal that's a good guess. I'm gonna th- flow, okay. throw Florida.
0: Okay. Uh, so I'll stick. So with Nelson, Texas. you're right. Texas has the most. Uh, currently, there are there are 11.
3: I don't know if I should be happy about that.
0: Current <laughs> currently there's <laughs> 11 uh, ice detention centers in Texas. Um, the second most is California with six. Um, and then ah, Ramis, you were on the you were on the ball as well. Louisiana was the third most with five.
1: I'm not happy about that, but I'll take how owned <laughs> are the libs?
0: Right, California holds the number two spot.
1: <laughs> uh,
2: take that, Gavin oh, Newsom. Man.
0: So yeah, those, those are the stats. Those are the ice Babies. stats.
2: Now, Ramis, are you going to take us through some of the disgusting case law? scotus decisions about the institution of ice detention
1: i could if i could even understand them myself this whole system is so complicated Mm. so instead of putting on my you know my tweed jacket and giving you a little law school talk um i'm going to try to boil it down to the to the essentials and tell you two let's say two foundational things one as far as legal background goes there's supposed to be this distinction somewhere between civil detention and criminal detention. I think, as a couple of us mentioned earlier, even in this episode, you know, it's really a distinction without a difference. Where immigration, if you're if you're detained right. for immigration reasons, you're supposedly in civil detention. If you're detained, let's say you're convicted of a, of a crime and uh, that crime comes with a prison sentence, you're in criminal detention. That's again a distinction without a difference. Legally speaking and kind of philosophically speaking, the idea of civil immigration detention, according to the government, again, according to the government, is it's kind of this administrative limbo where we know you, we know we have to deport you. And so we're going to hold you in our grasp until we can deport you so you don't run away, so you don't disappear. We're going to put you where we know you are until we can put you on a plane out of the country. Second thing you need to know is that Congress has this thing, thanks to this pesky thing called the Constitution, Congress has this thing called plenary power over immigration. Whatever, Essentially, whatever Congress says goes as far as creating our system of immigration. So whatever immigration laws we have now, as far as who gets in, how they get in, how long it takes to get in, how we kick them out, Congress has made those laws, and over time, they've constantly updated and replaced those laws, especially over the last 70, 80 years. As you may have heard in the news over the last decade, haven't made much traction on updating those laws, um, despite several efforts. Um, But the bottom line is Congress has the ball when it comes to creating our immigration laws. And to put those two things together... You know, Congress, with their plenary power, has done everything in their power to maximize ICE's ability to throw immigrants in jail in order to deport them. And there's no reason that ICE needs, other than you might not be lawfully present in this country, to throw someone in quote-unquote civil immigration detention. No reason other than the fact that you were born outside of the United States' borders. Simply, the fact of being an immigrant, you might get thrown in jail for years in the United States. U.S.A. Greatest country in the world.
0: <laughs> Gotta love it, America.
1: A perfect cut. And so, courts have have you know ruled from time to time on some issues regarding ICE detention. Other than the fact that you know they've pretty much given Congress the thumbs up on detaining people for the supposed reason of, of putting them in one place so that they can uh, deport them. But these court decisions have gotten more and more absurd and deferential over time. You know, I, I can go back a 100 years, um, but just to give you a snapshot of more recent uh, case law on the topic, um, you know, if, let's start from 2000, early 2000s. Early There's a case called Zedwidis, where... An individual was detained um, by immigration authorities for about three years, and these authorities were trying to deport him, but the thing is, he was essentially stateless. He was born in a refugee camp, and no country would take him, and so he's sitting in this ICE jail for three years while ICE is supposedly, or ICE's predecessor, is supposedly trying to deport him uh, or find a country that will take him, and... The Supreme Court looks at this and says three years for this supposedly administrative reason of kind of a waiting room until you get on a deportation plane, there's got to be some limit to that. And thankfully, in Zedvitas, they put some limit to it, you know. But since then, that principle that there's got to be some limit from the Constitution or somewhere to how absurd ICE can get. When it comes to de- detaining immigrants, that principle is eroded time and time again. And now, even as recently as last year, the Supreme Court has essentially said, "You know what? Let's not worry ourselves with that thing called the Constitution. If Congress says they want to detain immigrants for as long as they can, as long as they want to, go ahead. They get to indefinitely detain people. Let's worry about that Constitution thing later." And so, to, to you know, cut through all the of this. You know, BS legal talk about the Constitution, due process, civil detention. The bottom line here, when it comes to the law, is that in the United States of America, you can get locked up just because you were born outside of our borders. America has drawn a literal line in the sand and is threatening people who cross that line with potentially indefinite imprisonment. You know, actually, the the threat is worse. It's not just indefinite imprisonment. It could literally mean death. And I'm thinking about a case that that I've worked on where an individual was convicted of a crime, served his time in criminal detention in jail, and then because of his crime, he was now eligible for deportation. So he served his time, was released, ICE takes him into custody, puts him in immigration detention. And in immigration detention, due to just the terrible conditions in ICE jails around the country... This individual faces health complication after health complication, loses upwards of 20 pounds in a short span of a few months, and ultimately, unfortunately, dies in ICE jail. The only reason he was in a place that treated him so badly was because he was an immigrant. If he were born in the U.S.'s borders, he would have served his prison time and been free. Because he was an immigrant, ICE turned him around and sent him back into that jail. And essentially left him there to to rot and die. And it's just a tragic reality of the of this American quote-unquote legal system that yeah. allows for us to just detain immigrants for being immigrants. And I'll, I'll leave you with a quote from said uh, Zadvitis uh, where he said, and this is from a New York Times article from a couple decades ago, send me anywhere, send me to the moon, believe me, being locked up is no fun. And it's tragically one of my favorite quotes because... If you get a look inside one of these ice jails, if you are faced with indefinite detention just for being an immigrant, it's one of the worst sentences in the world. Um, and, uh, you know, it just it just cuts right through this idea of American exceptionalism where immigrants will do anything to stay in America if if you send someone to jail with no mm. sense of when they're going to get out. There's a lot of people like Mr. Zedweides who turn around and say, you know what, America's not worth it, send me to the moon, if it means getting out of this jail, and that's kind of the desperation that this American legal system creates.
2: You know, I love, Sash, hate that quote from Zedvitas, I hadn't heard that before, and just to briefly piggyback on all the stuff you said, Ramis, Like you described the facts of Zedvedis guy detained for three years and they said there has to be some limit. This is like one of the only positive Supreme Court decisions regarding immigrant detention in the past like 50 years. And even then, like the protection it provides is so minimal. So like we, in my old job, we used to file habeas corpus petitions on behalf of people, certain individuals in ICE detention under the Zedvedis decision. And the only time we could file those is if someone had already been ordered removed and either they'd already appealed and lost their appeal or decided not to appeal, so their removal order is final. And they'd already sat in jail for an extra six months. Only then can you file the habeas under Zedvitas to say okay, six months have gone by and you have not managed to put me on a plane. What's going on here? And then when you file this thing, which, like, it's not even easy to find a lawyer to file one of these for you. Very difficult to file on your own. Then you're stuck in this could-be-months-long court process. And the sad truth is, and I saw this multiple times, that filing the habeas just puts the fire under ICE's ass to actually deport the person. Sometimes we were filing habeases just to get ICE to get the person out of the country, not even to get them out of detention. And that's what people wanted. That's the best case law we're working with. Biden has continued to
3: hold very Trumpy policies when it comes to um, immigration continuing to uphold and defend many of the practices um, which constituted uh, human rights violations of the highest caliber. Um, Basically, either protecting those, defending them in court, or bringing them back. Case in point, recent Word is that um, Biden is planning to reinstate family detention for immigrants. So that means uh, taking, you know, families, often just mothers and their children, and locking them in small cells that are only a few feet by a few feet for long periods of time, with no health care or consideration for privacy or safety for any body who is being detained and um, locking them up in these cells in massive numbers um, again simply for the act of trying to find asylum or some form of relief here in the United States from the conditions that the West helps inflict on their home countries. Now, Mm -hmm. this, of course, does not go without protest, without resistance. Um, In a number of places across the country, folks who are being detained are doing everything they can to fight and advocate for themselves and um, better conditions not only for themselves but for anybody who in the future has to go through this thing kind of thing though hopefully in the future we can not we can just not do this um
2: ha, 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 ha. wouldn't that be do we do we hold those kind of hopes on this podcast are we are, are you our optimist? I have to hold didn't the hope. I Think we had any of those? Fair enough. I have to, even
3: if I don't necessarily think on a realist, in like a realistic way, that these things are going to happen or be phased out. If there's no possibility and there's no hope for it, then it would be one of those things where it's like, why are we even doing this? So, you, I you can have your not... hope.
2: I'll just have my fear. <laughs>
1: <laughs> of a border planet, uh,
3: but no. So people continue to resist right in a number of ways. Right now, at the Mesa Verde Ice Processing Center in Bakersfield, and uh, the Golden State Annex in McFarland, which I believe are both yeah, they're both facilities in California, seventy-seven. Incarcerated individuals are uh, currently on a hunger strike as a part of a many-months-long labor strike protesting the dollar-a-day pay um, for folks working inside the facilities, and um, this has been making some big headlines. It's con- I believe it's continuing to go on again. Um, given the level of transparency ICE is operating on and the level of access that media and um, organizers in solidarity with the detainees uh, information is limited So, but we do know as of recently, you know, as of the beginning of the month the strike was still continuing both labor and hunger to fight back against these abhorrent and soul crushing as described by the detainees' conditions. This is also in addition to a recent ruling in Washington state from a couple of years ago that is continuing to have impacts today. Just the fact that, um, geo groups, uh, detain conditions and their minimum wage laws. In their facilities in the state of Washington, were considered against you know illegal against the law, and they were ordered to pay 000, uh, million of which will go to directly paying the immigrants who were uh, subject to this exploitation, and um, you know so people fighting both inside the facilities in the courts. Um, folks who continue to advocate towards our you know, congress people to pressure the Biden administration to not do stuff like bringing back family detention and instead to go in the opposite direction and start shutting down these private facilities that make money and probably the most,
2: maybe not, it's hard to say. It's, it's Which, one of the most sickening, perverse. Yeah, ways one of the most evil ways to imagine. make money
3: that I can think of. Like, I, it's hard. I'm hard pressed to find other. Yeah. Me- there, I don't want to say anything is more or less because playing oppression Olympics never does anybody any good. But I think it's probably one of the most horrendous ways of making money that I could probably think of to run private immigrant detention facilities. It's f***ed
2: up. Yeah, it's right up there with, like, fire-hosing dolphins with raw crude oil. Right. Maybe maybe worse, though, because, like, I guess dolphins are okay sentient, but, like, humans are very sentient. (laughs) Other
3: methods that people have resisted are, you know, um, there was, I know it was a really big story... During the Trump years, where there was a facility in Georgia that the um, of the women's facility had a gynecologist who was uh, medically abusing and forcibly sterilizing women who would go to his what clinic. What f- um, and yeah, 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 he was, you know people would go in for gynecological procedures and end up um, medically sterilized um, without their consent or sometimes even their knowledge. And um, women have continued... This is over 40 women who have now come out, you know, as time goes on, more and more women, unfortunately... You know, fortunately, they're able to come out with their stories, unfortunately, in the fact that... This this happened at all in the first place, um, but this this sick <laughs> by the name of Mahendra Amin who sounds like he's also might be an immigrant. So that's just like <laughs>
0: it's like what the fuck
3: are we doing here? A lot to unpack there. Yeah, the ways in which they use us against each other. I'll say, especially insidious. We're choosing to focus on you know, the horrors of ice detention in this episode, but I do also like to highlight the ways in which people are fighting back, uh, because Mm -hmm. you know, despite fear of a border planet kind of dominating much of the perspective of the podcast, I know, like, I think fear has to work in tandem with hope if we're going to have any chance at changing or, any of this? So that's um, very nice, <laughs> Nelson. I like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm the young guy, so I'm the I'm the rosy-cheeked uh, young dude who still has hope before it's snuffed out of <laughs> me like the rest of you old guys.
2: <laughs> well, I appreciate. <clears throat> All you guys shedding light on this. I'll tell you one of my, you know, big takeaways from this conversation, highlighting different parts of ICE detention, is like Is this really so different from Guantanamo Bay? Or is this really so different from Japanese internment? Like, should we really consider these in different categories? Or is this just Is this all the same atrocity? Just presenting itself in slightly different ways
3: I totally it's
2: always the same
3: old song it's just the different ways that they right. say
1: it I, I totally agree and I think you know for me all forms of imprisonment is essentially exile and, and you see it much more clearly with something mm-hmm. like Guantanamo which is mm-hmm. offshore, something like a Japanese internment where you move a whole class of people to a different location. But you send someone to prison, you exile them from society. You send someone to ICE detention, you right. exile them from society, from their families, from their friends, from their neighbors. Um, it's the, you know, the government equivalent of, of sweeping something under the rug, where instead of lifting a rug, you're opening a prison gate. You're not really addressing the actual issues. Uh, what you're doing is a convenient uh, shooing away of what you perceive to be the problem. Uh, and actually, making it harder for for what you think is a problem with, which is actually a human being, uh, to to live life in society as we as you know human beings. And that's are what that's to do. what
0: I was going to add on there, Ramis. Is the fact that like it's not even just uh, it's not even just sweeping a problem under the rug. It's quite literally setting a person up for absolute failure on the off chance that they are even able to assimilate and, and be welcomed into the united states but now this person has a label on them because they've been detained for x amount of months or years and you set up a, mm-hmm. a system within the united states that not only stigmatizes that person but also there's also barriers for that person to advance and and to live a flourishing lifestyle no doubt
2: We were going to allude to some breaking news about the Biden administration. We talked about last episode, the Biden administration announcing a, a metering policy uh, limiting the number of migrants who'd be admitted and setting up this parole program. Since then, there's been an even broader sweeping asylum ban or transit ban announced specifically for when the public health measure Title 42 is set to expire in May to give the Biden administration a a means of continuing to shaft asylum seekers and basically shut down the asylum system in violation of national and international law, requiring migrants to seek asylum in in Mexico or other countries they've transited through on the way, and requiring them to set up appointments through a finicky app called CBP-1 in order to have the the right to seek asylum. So just another perverse policy right out of the Trump playbook. Let me just play a little clip that summarizes how we feel about this.
3: Do not come. Do not come. The United States will continue to enforce our laws and secure our border
0: i will build a wall and mexico is going to pay for it and they'll be happy to pay for it because mexico is making so much money from the united states that that's going to be peanuts what's the difference between me and-
2: what's the difference between biden and trump when it comes to this stuff mm-hmm. i fail to see it clearly
3: yeah it's all very orwellian i like i remember that phrase you spoke earlier like um interior enforcement is what ice is in charge of right mm-hmm. like that's such a sanitized, like, polite, nice <laughs> way of, like, saying guys whose job it yep. is to burst into your home and drag you out of it and throw you in the detention center. <laughs> God, it, It's interior, it's not fascism, it's interior enforcement.
0: Right, right. It's all about the label and, and how you, uh... The semantics that you put with it to kind of soften the blow of what it of what it really is
2: mm-hmm. it's not right. being disappeared by the xenophobe <laughs> goon squad it's interior <laughs> enforcement alright should we have our musical interlude let's do it well, I'm they
1: won't let me oh, they won't let me visitation no longer comes by it seems like they forgot about me Getting empty, mm-hmm. cellmates
2: so if you grew up in the aughts like us, this guy was everywhere. <laughs> Akon. He was a sensation, man. You know, after the first album called Trouble that came out in 2004, I was 11 years old, primed for this. Not that I was smacking any of that but that's that's the next album actually but even by that point I still wasn't doing that you still weren't smacking it (laughs) but those that album made him a sensation and he wrote a lot of songs off that album trouble including Locked Up which we just heard um, when he was serving time in the Fulton County Jail, Atlanta, Georgia on uh, auto theft charges um actually side note about this he at one point claimed akon to have spent like four years in prison that was later fact checked and he spent like six months of pre-trial detention on a gun charge that was that was dropped No, like like <laughs> this i'm not trying to split hairs here i'm not a prosecutor but we, we should take this man's statements with a grain of salt, and that's going to be a, a theme over the next uh, few minutes here while we talk about Akon. But, you know, definitely a man who saw the inside of the justice system and had a lot to say about it and uh, locked up has some great lines, some of the best bars about exposing the realities of being incarcerated in America. But anyway, that song, that album, made him a sensation. He's credited with 300 guest appearances Sheesh. on other people's songs. A lot of those were in the immediate aftermath. So, and when he released that album, he started his label, Convict Music. I didn't realize this. He signed Lady Gaga. That's crazy. We wouldn't have. I mean, we probably would. Someone else
1: that's, would have. But he. That's basically why he stopped singing. Is that he's just banking <laughs> off of, off off of, of, of Lady, Lady Gaga. Gaga money. I would too. You, lady gaga is funding acon city <laughs> yes, <we're just> funding <laughs> we'll, get to, city. In we'll get
2: to that you know who else is banking off of lady gaga actually is lady gaga's father who i saw blabbing on fox news the other day when i was in a <laughs> prison waiting room it's like let's talk to lady gaga's dad what? about how much crime there is in new york what? city anyway that's a tangent. <laughs> it, but he he also signed t-pain i love t-pain signed french montana he he has production credits, including with Michael Jackson, before Michael Jackson died. Uh, so th- this guy put out a lot of platinum or three platinum albums uh, and made a lot of hit songs. He's a legend. Man, man. so he w- Akon was born 1973. He was born in St. Louis, Missouri. His full name is Aliom Damala Badara Akon Cham, I think I'm pronouncing that. Not terribly, but after being born in St. Louis, he spent parts of his child in, uh, childhood in Senegal. Um, he later settled in New Jersey, and then, then went to Atlanta. In fact, I want to play another clip here because he talks about um, his Senegalese roots and being born in America in a song, also on Trouble, called Senegal. And I like these Don't bars you know too.
1: I'll go to island where all the slaves were shipped from
2: so there he explicitly talks about being born in america to avoid the immigration so i don't know his you know i'm not here to speculate on you know his parents status or anything like that but Uh, Just brief sidebar, uh, we do have birthright citizenship in America. Anyone who's born on U.S. territory is a U.S. citizen. That is not the case in all countries, including in developed countries like Europe, where you can still have people born in those countries who aren't citizens of those countries. Thankfully, that's enshrined in the U.S. Constitution. Still, we see demonization of what's sometimes labeled as anchor babies or birth tourism, uh here in the states and uh that's just hogwash in my opinion but maybe a topic for another i can i can
0: say that uh at least in the nigerian community around the time that uh that my parents were born uh both my parents Mm -hmm. were born in the early 1970s it was a thing to like for uh for nigerians you know if they could make it to come have their child here, and then uh, this was the case for both my parents. They were both born in the States, but then raised and did like a lot of their primary and secondary school in Nigeria, only to later come back to the States um, around 17, 18, 19 years old and, and begin living here. So that was that was a uh, very common thing, in, at least in like the 70s, maybe before and probably after as well. Um, And just to disavow
2: anyone, you know, who's still out there cursing anchor
0: babies,
2: (laughs) uh, under immigration law, uh, to be a a U.S. citizen child and sponsor your parent for immigration purposes, you have to be 21 years old and fulfill other requirements. So it's not like these babies are out here filing papers for their parents. That's not how this works. Oh, the other brief sidebar in those bars he references something called gory island i had to look this up i can't believe i didn't know this this is an island off the coast of senegal this houses something called the house of slaves this was a a, a building where a huge number of slaves from the transatlantic slave trade came through be, right before they were shipped overseas and there's this door this scary looking door that the slaves would walk through, and it's just the ocean on the other side. It's creepy, but it's like a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and Nelson Mandela went there, Obama went there. Anyway, Gory Island, Senegal. Akon, his mother, was a professional dancer. His father was a jazz drummer, uh, known as More Chum. Akon, in addition to his music, has been involved in a number of legal and illegal business <laughs> ventures. Uh, he, in his early days, apparently was uh, kingpin of a, a car theft ring uh, at one point he owned a or was an investor in a diamond mine in South Africa it seems like he was invested in the diamond mine for like many years and used to deny that blood diamonds were a thing so that's that's cute <laughs> Akon but uh, recently he's claimed he's no longer invested in, uh, in the diamond mine but he has a couple labels, convict music, con live distribution. He has a uh, cryptocurrency called Acoin. <laughs> that's clever. And he's tempted a few philanthropic ventures, a group called Confidence. Anytime I say the phoneme con, that's K O N to you. Uh, that confidence is a, apparently a youth empowerment group. There was Akon Lighting Africa. And I think most of these are just like kind of flashes in the pans. He's kind of a serial (laughs) philanthropreneur, if you will. And then Akon City, which we'll hear more about later. But this all begs the question of who has provided more direct investment in Africa? Is it USAID or is it the proceeds (laughs) from
0: (laughs) SmackDown? Or is it Lady Gaga? (laughs)
2: Jami, why don't you take us through some of his greatest hits, greatest bars? Yeah, no
0: doubt. Um, first, I, I definitely want to say, like, I was really looking forward to this episode. Uh, as you guys know, I was thinking that the episode was that we were recording yesterday because I was just excited to to <laughs> get to Acon. Um, <laughs> Akon is really a legend in the in the rap and hip hop game my intro to akon was uh probably in like 2004 2005 i think i was about nine or ten um and my dad my dad was a mm-hmm. is a also a big like my dad's a big you know music fan in general listens to a lot of reggae hip-hop um 80s music so on and so forth but do we need him on the pod? I, hey, I, I think he would love to to be a guest, make a guest appearance from time to time. But uh, he he would drive around, like I would drive around with him in in his jeep, you know, taking me either to basketball practice or uh, you know Eastern Market on the weekends. And um, I do remember, like in this two two thousand four two thousand five era, driving around with my dad, and he'd be bumping um, he'd be bumping a lot of Acon the the one album in, in particular, the, the Convicted album, Convicted album, he would he would really bump that one. Uh, so I was super excited um to get to the greatest hits. When I do these greatest hits, I really do take a take about a week or at least like four days to try to like live with the music, kinda revisit it and, and get reacquainted. And that's when I really found that um that he's that Akon's really maintain his relevance by being, you know, just attached to good quality music. Um, that being said, I might've slept on a lot of, I might've been sleeping on a lot of Akon Heat as of late. Uh, so there are some albums that I'll mention toward the end that I haven't really lived with. But, um, you know, for the audience out there, feel free to check them out and like maybe hit us on Twitter with, with some more uh, some more greatest hits. And again, you know, you can listen to our playlist on uh, on Spotify and Apple, where this music will be, but um, real quickly, some of the greatest hits, either my my own or just kind of consensus. Um, Shakedown from the Convicted album, Mama Africa, which I'll get into some bars later. I can't wait. Oh yeah. Tired of running, don't matter. Smack that. I want a lo- classic. Classic. Uh, I want to love you, Gringo uh locked up uh locked up remix featuring styles p yeah that's really bonanza which is like a song that i feel like has kind of made like a tiktok resurgence but i never knew it was an akon song but now that like i know that whenever i hear it i i can literally like hear akon um lonely another classic soul survivor classic song jeezy oh yeah um Right now, nah, nah, nah. Another goaded song. It's giving like high school, middle school, homecoming throwback. And I'm yeah, that song seems (laughs) frozen in the homecoming. Like I I just want to put on like a bright bow tie and uh, and suspenders when I hear right, nah, nah, nah. Um, (laughs) Beautiful and I'm so paid. So those those are ooh, save the best one for
1: last. I got a lot of (laughs) memories of I'm So Paid. paid.
0: I remember being the the brokest I ever was singing along to I'm So Paid. (laughs)
1: Um,
2: (laughs) Bunch of public interest singing I'm
1: So Paid. Right. I'm 14 years old in my mom's meeting. (laughs) I'm I'm so paid.
0: Uh so as mentioned there might be some stuff I'm sleeping on here but uh there there are some Acon projects that I only got a chance to briefly check out. Um so I want you guys at home to let me know like if there's any heat over here but one album was the Concrete Jungle album where it kind of sounds like Acon is um crooning over other artist beats kind of mixtape style like little wayne mixtape style and like o3 uh so that that one i want to get back to um el negrito, el negrito? <laughs> uh akon playing with some reggaeton and and uh it's all it seems to all be in spanish <laughs> which is super yeah, fire spanish <laughs> that's super tough i love that and then uh tt freak which is uh, more of like an Afrobeats uh, vibe. So um, haven't got a chance to check out those albums in completion, but definitely want to hear right. if there's some some heat on there.
2: I like El Negrito. I mean, it's like you have to take it for what it is, which is Akon <laughs> singing a reggaeton right. album. But...
0: So for today's greatest bars, I'm pulling from the song Mama Africa from Akon uh, and I'll just go ahead and, and read off a little bit of these bars, uh, sorry, a little bit of these bars in which Akon starts with uh, an acronym for the word Africa and then uh, and then a little uh, little like four or six bars um, yeah, let's hear it so he goes A is for all the love and the life took away F don't forget we were Bought and trade. R. Ripped from the land and shipped away. I. Is the inspiration we use to survive. C. Have to see it with your own cries. A. No play, add it up and arrive. Still you don't know. The land is so gold and green. The place is so fresh and clean. And every day I water my garden. Tell if you feel it deep in your heart In the space is so cool and nice visit once and guaranteed to visit twice. And if you just believe in the most high, I know you'll be all right. To me, these bars are are pretty dope because similar to uh, the last episode where we talked about just uh, the betrayal of black people in the media, I think. This can be said even for the portrayal of Africa and Africans in the media, oftentimes being shown as poor, run down, hungry, dirty, when really the continent of Africa is vast and full of resources, beautiful people, culture, thriving cities. It's it's a huge continent, you know, like <laughs> the United States can very easily fit inside the vastness of Africa. So, you know, it, it's nice to see Akon kind of highlight the beauty of Africa and which doesn't get highlighted on, on television. When you see, you know, for just a dollar a day, you can foster one of these, one of these hungry children. Like that's not all Africa is. Oh God. You know, that's uh that's not, it's not the complete picture of Africa at all. So I, I, I rock with Akon for drawing, for drawing that attention. But, you know, with every good comes a little bit of controversy. So I'll I'll toss it over to Ramis uh, for this portion.
1: Okay. So like any good real estate developer, Akon has made a lot of promises that he has not lived up to yet. I'll give him, for Nelson's sake, I'll give him some hope.
3: Hope for Akon, yeah.
1: So let's talk about Akon City. Oh, yeah. So... Somehow, for some reason, the Senegalese president gifted 2,000 acres of land on the coast of Senegal to Akon. And Akon says, I'm going to raise $6 billion to build a futuristic city. I saw Black Panther. Wakanda seems cool. Let's do it. Um, Fast forward to, what are we in now, 2023? I think there are a couple goats walking around on that land um from from the latest uh look into it in um December of 2022 um but uh he's blown well past his phase 1 deadline to build this futuristic city that's built on solar that uses A coin for its currency <laughs> even though the like regional bank deemed it's use illegal um and uh and A former businessman, a business partner of his is suing him for a few million dollars for money that he allegedly used um, towards Akon City. I don't know what's going on. I think Akon most recently recently said, 2026, phase one, I promise. And then at the same time, he's apparently also promised in Akon City in Uganda. Um, And so I don't know what to say about this other than Hope for Nelson's sake, that uh, we will add Akon City to the list of Africa's beauties so that Akon can sing about it in the next song.
2: Right, Ramos. you're not rooting against Akon City. It's just...
1: It's oh. it's hard to root against Akon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's easy to lose hope in
2: him. <laughs> I mean,
1: Akon's cool. Easy.
0: We want Akon City right now, nah, nah. nah. that was terrible
2: (laughs) (laughs) I liked it there's just such a long sad history of people making promises about you know development in Africa and the disappointment that comes when those promises are unfulfilled obviously Akon is not white but he's engaging in a certain white savior mentality here Mm. of oh since he's so paid as this rapper r&b star he can throw some money around and create wakanda it's like what you were saying jami about you know tv ads you know drink one less coffee a day and a whole village (laughs) will burst into prosperity like the the image of africa that we're fed is so poor and destitute that people think with just a, a tiny bit of charity they can turn it all around
1: i got one more controversy to talk about and this is my, at the same time, my favorite and least favorite income song. It's a song called Sorry, Blame It On Me, just because of how absurd it is. So this is a song he released, I think, in like 07, 06, 07, after there's this uh, incident at a nightclub that he was performing at, uh, where he, I think he brought a girl on stage or something and started dancing with her, and that girl ended up being underage like 17 or something in, a, in, in this nightclub so there's this big backlash against Akon he puts out this song sorry <laughs> blame it on me and it starts out kind of humble nice he's like you know asking for forgiveness from his girl for leaving her in bed when he was out at work or out on the road you know it goes through all like sorry for all the times I neglect you and disrespect you Apologize. 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 So he seems remorseful. And then. Takes a turn. An absurd turn in this last verse. (laughs) Just full 180. And he's like wait a second. They are dead wrong for putting this on me. This is not my fault. He goes on to blame. The girl. He says that girl's dad Mm. shouldn't have let her out so young. (laughs) He blames the. He blames the club. He's like, I hope they manage better next time around. How was I supposed to know she was underage? All this kind of stuff. All of a sudden. And then ends the verse in the pettiest, most like immature man way possible. And he's like, even though the blame's on you, I'll take that blame. I'll take it from you. That's toxic. You, <laughs> you know, I wasn't really sorry this whole time, but you know what? Just for the sake of everybody else's convenience, <laughs> just put it all on me. Put it all on me. Anything you want, it's my fault. Your heart out. Uh, Future
2: uh, Acon is toxic king. Right. This sounds like some of the
0: sentencing hearings I've had <laughs> that have gone south.
1: It's
0: like, I didn't do it, but sure, put the blame on me. <laughs> Speaking of like consensual relations and Akon, you know needed needing to do more due diligence I don't know if you've ever, if you guys have ever noticed the song green light by John Legend featuring Andre 3000 is literally mm-hmm. a song about getting consent which is which I think is so fire because the song is an absolute smash
3: I remember that song from like my mom's workout playlist <laughs> like... <laughs> There's no quicker way to make people think you don't have consent and there's issues with legal aids than if you make a song about it. <laughs> like, if you <laughs> started adding that part into the song, people are really going to start looking at
1: Akon. Which is which is especially funny because there's definitely a small group of people that follow Akon News, and there's a much larger group of people that follow Akon's music. And so if you drop a line in a song specifically saying how was I supposed to know she was on the ranch? You're going to right, lose yeah. a lot of listeners.
2: It's a lot of people who are going to be like wait, what? And let me say, cancel culture is so rampant <laughs> that Akon is still a multimillionaire putting out hit records. This is cancel culture at play, folks. <laughs> it will come for you next. <laughs>
1: Yeah, he only got to build or promise to build two Akon Cities because of that. <laughs>
2: yeah. and Matt, the tragedy. It would Akon City would exist now if he hadn't been cancelled for these remarks, you know? <laughs> like come on, cut, cut the guy a break. I right. mean that's why it isn't where it isn't further along by now.
0: I think I'm gonna buy some A coin after this episode. oh please do well actually this might be the time because its value has (laughs) plummeted you can
2: probably get a lot for a small amount of money so actually johnny please do and report back to us
3: the man is an undeniable musical talent but he does also tends to say things that are sometimes dumb and bad (laughs) um for instance (laughs) recently Um, one headline that Akon did make is that he prefers, he made some statements on the Joe Budden podcast saying that, uh, he prefers to date African women because they understand their roles better, quote, Yikes! and that men and women could never be equal. Yikes. Um,
2: and it's, We, we do not endorse that.
3: He was also talking him recently about how he would like to move as many african Americans as he can back to Africa, so he's very on like a like a Marcus Garvey kind of mindset, and he was talking about how Africa could be like the strongest nation ever if they if we brought all the african Americans back which I think was also a little bit in response to some controversy that he stirred up after claiming that African performers are better than, their, than African American or just American performers in general. So he's just kind of been going around lately talking that talk in the best way, in the worst ways possible. He also recently talked his way into the country of Nigeria without a visa, which is kind of fun. Um,
1: wow, our, our borderless king. <laughs> <laughs> he, he yeah, missed, I read that
3: story. Yeah, he missed a connecting flight, and then rather than stay in the immigration lounge of the airport... He kind of just talked his way past security, and him and his crew just decided to go stay at a hotel, which is against the Nigerian law.
2: But they no, just I think the, uh, uh I think the U.S. Embassy actually vouched for Akon on that one. Even, yeah. You know, vouched for him to break Nigerian immigration law. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I mean, hey, who are, we're not he- out here supporting anyone's immigration laws really so good for a i guess i also like this other headline that back in 2010 he was denied a visa to sri lanka for offending buddhism because he had a buddha statue in the background of the music video for sexy
3: chick (laughs) (laughs) he does not care he's just going around doing stuff man saying things He did, you know, on a better side, not necessarily as politically outspoken as some of the other folks we'll talk about, though I do think, you know, there's a lot of those elements in his music. He did, you know, during the Trump administration, was was a vocal opponent of Trump immigration policies and, you know, calling out, you know, as a Muslim, he called out, the Muslim band and all the other crap that um, Trump pulled. So it's not the... You know, he, he's a complicated guy. He's got good opinions and he's got
0: terrible opinions. Complicated. Mm-hmm. He knows how to make a hit record, though, I'll say that. Oh, yeah.
2: Alright, should we call it a night, folks? Appreciate you guys. What comes next for us? We're going to talk about... um. Maybe USCIS and Megan the Stallion, uh, or um, maybe uh, the deported dissidents and Black Star. Uh,
3: yeah, I think one of those two. Well, are one of
2: these, fine we'll options. figure it out. You listeners, just stay tuned. Teasers.
1: Yeah, for, I'm leaning. From... I'm leaning towards that second one. Oof.
2: Teasers. We got to do, yeah, do Nipsey it. soon,
0: and that 50 episode.
2: Oh, we'll do 50 Cent. We'll do Nipsey. I want to talk about MIA. Uh, oh yeah we got a lot of ground to cover, All right, folks. Y'all. Be, so be
0: easy.
3: Until next time. This has been Nelson the Mayan.
0: You guys go. John the Astute.
1: Ram the Astute.
0: <laughs> the Astute Boys. <laughs> the White Wizard is cunning.
2: All right. Bye, folks.
0: You just heard an episode of Fear of a Border Planet podcast written, produced, and edited by the hosts, Johnny, Carrie, Nelson, and Ramis. Please subscribe to Fear of a Border Planet on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also, check out our Fear of a Border Planet playlist on Apple and Spotify, so you too can listen to the music discussed on the pod. Fear of a Border Planet does not own the rights to any music featured here, so if you're a studio bigwig who does own the rights, and you believe our inclusion of the music is not fair use please send us a politely worded cease and desist. As always, the views expressed in this pod are solely those of the hosts and our agreeable listeners, not any of our employers or the feds. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. Catch you later. We would like to take a moment to grieve the loss of our beloved colleague and friend Eva Alvarez, who was recently killed in a car accident. Eva served as the Michigan Immigrant Rights Center's public policy coordinator and previously as an outreach advocate with the farm worker team. Eva was involved with the Drive Michigan Forward Coalition. She led the Protect Immigrant Families Michigan Coalition, and served on the Michigan Labor Housing Advisory Board. Eva Alvarez was born in Royal City, a small farming community in Central Washington. She was the second oldest of seven and a proud daughter of farm workers. Beginning at the age of 14, Eva picked cherries and apples during her summers with her father and siblings. Eva witnessed the many injustices that migrant and seasonal farm workers faced from hazardous work conditions to low wages. Her experience led her to advocate tirelessly for immigrant and farm worker rights. We send our deepest sympathies to her family and friends. She will be dearly missed by all who knew her. Rest in power, Eva.